Sexpectations, that's what we're calling uh, this sermon. I guess that's what I'm calling it. Um, You might want me to talk about something today that I'm not going to talk about. Uh, This is such a massive topic that you will surely be disappointed because I won't speak about some question that you might have. Uh, we've, we're a church that speaks about sex fairly often. So you could go back and listen to one of our other sermons on sex, and maybe it's there. Oftentimes our applications are around sex as well. Or you can stick with us, and sure enough, soon enough, we'll be talking about sex again, because it's necessary. As a church, we find it's necessary because it's on people's minds and hearts often. And it's in our advertising, it's in everything. Sex sells, um, literally. So uh, there we go. There's my excuse not to answer the question that you have. Uh, Romans 11, uh, 36 says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever, amen. So if all things exist for God's glory, if all things are, are from God. And we could take that to a whole new level, right? You could excuse anything that you're doing to fit inside this verse, but this verse fits with the rest of the Bible. So I feel good about saying this, that that sex fits in here. That one of the intentions, I, I think that sex has at least four intentions. And one of the intentions is to glorify God, to make much of him, to make him famous, when done the way that he has instituted it, given it to us to participate in. So sex, I believe, according to the Bible, is, is good. Maybe you've grown up thinking sex is dirty. It's something you don't talk about. It's taboo. Well, sex is actually a good gift from God. Let me show you this. Genesis 1, uh, 31. I'm going to step forward just for a minute so I can see the screen. Uh, God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. On the sixth day, God created humanity. He left them naked and unashamed in a garden. What do you think is going to happen if you leave two adults naked and unashamed? I don't know. Uh, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So it's not good for the man to be hanging out with just the animals, okay? It's not good for Adam to be chilling all by himself in his living room paradise. So here's what happens. God makes a woman, brings them together, and here's what he says. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were vulnerable with one another. They were naked. There was no uh, emotional barriers. There was no relational barriers. There were no social barriers. There were no physical clothing barriers. Everything was out in the opens, right? That, that, They were marveling at one another. When the naked woman comes to the man, he becomes a poet, right? Men say incredible things in front of naked women sometimes. This is what happens in the Bible, that that sex is a gift. Sex is a gift. By the way, as uh, we sent this out in a message, that this sermon was really going to be like for 13-year-olds and up. So if you have a child that you brought in with you and you think, I'm not sure what this guy's going to say today, um, you feel free. Uh, We have a a kid's area that they could go hang out and and help, um, but it's completely up to your discretion as parents. So that's on on you, okay? Uh, There's a fourfold intention that we see in scripture about sex. The first I already mentioned that sex is to glorify God. To make him famous. Sex isn't dirty. It was his idea. Isn't that amazing? Sex is his idea. 
premarital uh, counseling that I do with couples that are going to get married, the last session we do is on sex. And we want to make that really clear that sex is God's idea. So get behind God's idea and enjoy this good gift. The second uh, intention that God has for, for sex is, is pleasure. It's pleasure. That sex isn't just a, a get it done thing to make some kids. It's meant to be enjoyed. God wired us this way. There are chemicals in your body that only awaken during that time. There are things on the human body that seem to only exist. Their only function is pleasure. We don't just evolve into that, right? The Lord's like, I'm gonna place this right here. That's for pleasure. That's, that's for fun, for you to enjoy this good gift that I've given to you. So if you think that God is a stodgy old man in the corner of the galaxy, throwing light, lightning bolts at people, getting angry and upset, just think about the body and the way that he has made that. The third intention that, that God has for sex is to fill the earth. In Genesis 1, um, he talks about being fruitful and multiplying. So be naked, unashamed, have fun, but make babies. Why? Because babies make culture. Babies make culture. You don't have culture if you don't have babies. You have a dying culture that's being removed. And the Western world is slowly uh, dying off. We're not producing enough children to actually keep our societies going, which forces Western civilization to think more about immigration because we're not doing our part. So part of the cultural, part of the creation mandate that, that God gives to us as humans is to have sex and make babies, right? That should be a fun task. Um, the fourth intention, though, is a little uh, less obvious. The fourth intention that, that we see in Scripture is that uh, sex is there so that we can serve our spouse. Sex exists so that we can serve our spouse. And I said that on purpose, um, God creates, I don't have all the time to do this this morning. You can go and listen to, to the rest of our series. This is meant to build on itself. But sex is meant for a marriage that's between a man and a woman. We dealt with all of the issues around that, so go listen to the sermons. But that this, within these boundaries, is where sex is to be able to be enjoyed, be able to, to practice, to grow, to, to serve one another, that this is God's good intention for his people and for all people within the covenant of marriage. And here's the thing. These four intentions, they haven't changed. Sex exists to glorify God for, for pleasure, for filling the earth, and for serving our spouse. God has not changed his, his covenant of marriage hasn't changed. He hasn't changed up what marriage is. We might, our culture might, God hasn't. You can't do that with the Bible, just not possible. So God hasn't changed. But here's the thing, we have. We have changed. We've brought the change our, ourselves. See, when God created all things and he left the man and woman naked and unashamed in the garden, um, this paradise, he puts these two trees in the middle. One um, is, is good, it's the, the tree of life. The other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, the day you eat of the fruit of this tree, you're gonna die. Your eyes will be opened to, to, to death. 
that you will know evil personally and you will then enter into death. Well, we decided that we wanted a different story than the one that God had actually prescribed. One where God would be our everything, where he would be in charge of of everything. We would find our value, meaning, purpose, living under his rule and reign, which is good, which is good, perfect, right, and true. That was God's theocracy, that everything is gonna be good, right, perfect, and true. Right, We fight political parties against one another, but under the first theocracy, everything was good, right, perfect, and true. We had value, meaning, and purpose for everything. But we decided that we didn't want that story. We believed a lie that, that an enemy of God brought along to us. We bought into or bit into that lie, and we, we began to author a different story, one where we could see ourselves as equal or even superior to this God who created us to live under him. We decided we wanted to author a different story. Here's the problem. We only had his creation to to change a story with. It's not like we became creators all of a sudden and create a whole new world. We only had the material and the matter and the resources that God had left to us. So we became uh, plagiarists. We took God's story and and we, we replaced ourselves we removed God and placed ourselves at, at the, the, the head seat, the place of God, the captain of this, this ship. And we began to rewrite everything. Here's the thing. We, we only took the parts that, that we liked. Listen to this quote by, by C.S. Lewis. Those who have sex outside covenant of marriage are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual from all the other kinds of union, which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. Sex wasn't meant to just be a thing that we do on our own without the emotional stability and intimacy and the covenant of commitment and the trust that goes along with it. But we, as sinners and rebels against God, said, no, we like the sex part. We like the pleasure part. We're gonna take that. We're gonna leave the rest over there and we're gonna create our whole new world, maybe even a brave new world because that's most of the way that sex really is today. I reread Brave New World recently, uh, crazy novel, crazy. But basically the whole thing is like sex, sex and soma. Soma is this, this drug. So you kind of forget bad things that happen and you don't have to deal with the hard things of life. And, and you just have sex and you, you're not committed to anyone. In fact, commitment's a bad thing. Marriage is a bad thing. Mother and father aren't words you speak about. It's like a prophetic novel that we're now walking into as a, as a culture and a society. But that's, that's most of our world. This brave new world where there's no intimacy outside of two bodies coming together to perform some task on one another. So now where sex stands is it serves our story. Sex is about about us. It serves our story. It's used for our glory and it's for our mission. We are the authors of sex. We are the authors of this brave new world. God, you have no part of this whatsoever. Thanks for putting the pleasure parts where you did. We'll take it from here. This is our storyline. This is the storyline of our culture. I know I'm being crass about it maybe, but this is, this is the reality. This is the world that we, that we live in, the waters we swim in. But here's the thing. We love science. We want scientific proof for everything. We want to be rationalists. But all the research goes against this story. 
All the research goes against the biology that we live in. There's some, some chemicals that exist in our body, oxytocin and vasopressin, and, and these are binding chemicals that when they're released, they take two beings and they bind them together. This is within us. When you have sex with someone, you are bound to them. You are binding yourself to them, whether you want that or not. And let me let non-Christians tell you that. This is always helpful because sometimes within the church, we get theologians and C.S. Lewis, right? We put him up all the time because he's smarter than all of us. And it's like, ah, look at the Christian. But it's, it's best when non-Christians say things that God has been saying. So I'll, I'll give you a few, a variety, all right? We'll, we'll hear from a sex therapist first. Our name is Teresa Crenshaw. She says, when we have intercourse, we create an involuntary chemical commitment. This involuntary chemical commitment. Your body is saying, I'm committed to this person. Your mind might be saying, no, 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 no. You can't be committed. Just got to get it done. Just here to fulfill my sexual need. I'm a sexual animal. Like I just need to get this thing done. But what Teresa says as a sex therapist, she deals with this all the time. She's like, you're doing, you're having an involuntary chemical commitment with that person. Let me go to the, um, to the journal of Glamour magazine, okay? Uh, Emily Morris says, because of, of hormones, we often get prematurely uh, attached. Even when you intend to just have casual sex, biology and might should be in italics, might trump your intentions. Biology, chemicals, they're binding. Next. Lauren Winter from Duke University says, don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? This is some smart people, especially the glamour one. Um, What they're saying is what God has been saying. I made you to be one flesh, naked and unashamed. Man and and woman, you're not meant to do this randomly. You're not meant to, to hook up. And now the research is saying that as well. Paul says it too. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And how much more is that true knowing what we know about the biology and chemicals that Paul didn't know? We're sinning against our own bodies. We're destroying ourselves as we try and live out this brave new world of, of hookupism. Have sex with as many people as you can, as many ways as you can, so that you can be this enlightened sexual being. Do you know what is driving this cultural motive? It's not for a brave new world, it's for me. It's for us. What's driving this is is self-love. Listen to what Paul Tripp says. Sex is dangerous when it is only motivated by the love of you. Why is this dangerous? Why is it dangerous? Well, because everyone then becomes your servant. Everyone exists in the world to be able to serve your needs and your desires. And if they don't want to, well, then you don't need them. You get rid of them and you find people that will, or you force them to do what you want for them to do. 
this is scary. This is dangerous. And, and yet here's what I believe, and here's what the Bible says, is that this motive, this self-love that began the day that, that we bit into rebellion against God, we were all there at that time. This was our team, our first mom and dad, right? They were our team. And if things go well with them, they go well with us. They don't go well with them. They don't go well with us. Through their rebellion, we've become rebels. And then through your own rebellion, you keep that rebellion. But let me show you this morning briefly what the self-love is capable of. So I wanna work through a text and then I'm gonna use the, the last third of the sermon just to uh, apply what the intention that God has for sex to serve, what that actually looks like. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can go to 2 Samuel uh, verse 13, or chapter 13. I'll put it on up on the screen for you. If you don't have a Bible, as you leave today, please grab one, take one. You're not stealing. Uh, it's, it's yours, all right? We, we want you to, to leave with one. Let me set the context as well that King David has some kids, uh, different moms, okay? That's a different sermon, all right? Not today. Uh, but these two that we're gonna look at are from different moms, okay? So yes, David's dad, different moms. One of them is named Amnon. The other is named Tamar. So we're going to look at this story. This story is graphic. Uh, this story is disgusting. I'm just going to put it out there, beginning. But the same thing that's driving Amnon throughout this is, is also moving inside of this brave new world and inside of our hearts. So I'm going to move very quickly through this because I want to get to the, the last part of this sermon as well. So here we go. Uh, 2 Samuel 13, verse 1 and 2 says... Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. After a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. So I I would argue that, that he's not tormented by just how beautiful and wonderful she is. He's tormented by the self-love that's going on in himself, that he wants her at any cost. And when you're willing to feed and serve the self-love that exists inside of you at any cost, you were dangerous in that moment. So 2 Samuel 13, three to six. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother, Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Very crafty friends shouldn't be your friends. What this friend does is he comes along and he further objectifies Tamar for Amnon. Very crafty is the same language used of of Satan, the one that that spoke to Adam and Eve, the first humans, about betraying and, and walking away from God and rebelling against him. So the enemy is very crafty. And here's what goes on. Here's what goes on. You think about dating apps, okay? Dating apps like uh, Tinder or Bumble, or I just ran out of dating apps. I don't have any more in my mind. Um, 
And I had to do research on that. But if you go through, you're, you're looking at a profile. You're looking at a picture, like hot or not, beautiful, not beautiful, um, I think, I'm assuming. Uh, and, and you decide and you swipe one way or the other. I'm not sure. I hope I never have to know, okay? And, and you make a judgment call in that moment. What we're doing is we're removing the, the imago day from that person. We're looking them, at them as an object, and I get it. Like, I get that you want to be physically attracted to someone. We could talk about that, but we're not going to today. But what happens when someone becomes an object is they lose their imago Dei, that they're made in the image of God, that they have value because of how they're made. And instead, we begin to look at them. Do you have value? Meaning, can you fulfill my self-love? Can you exist for the purposes that I want for you to exist for? I don't care about God's purposes for you anymore. Can you exist for me? This is dangerous. Chapter 13, verse seven to nine. So then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house when he was lying down. She took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, send out everyone for me. So everyone went out from him. See, self-love is going to seek advantage. It's going to seek to be alone. It's going to, it's going to seek to get what it wants at whatever cost. Verse 10, Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to, to Amnon and her brother. But when she brought them near him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. Really bad pickup line. Like just, that's like Joe Dirt type stuff. She answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king for he will not withhold me from you. Real quick, he invites her into self-love, come into my, my plan. And, and she tries to appeal to anything else to get him out of, of seeing her in this way. She's like, hey, bro, you know, we're, we're family. This is weird enough, right? I'll even think about marrying you the proper way, but this is strange, right? Would you just wake up and see that? I'm not gonna listen to that. Me, would you care about me? I'm gonna carry shame. I'm not gonna be a virgin anymore. I'm not gonna be able to marry someone. I'm not gonna be able to do all thing, these things. Would you think about me? Doesn't listen to that. Well, listen to God. This thing isn't done in Israel. We're part of the people of God. Why would you ever do that? Self-love doesn't listen to that either. Your reputation, Amnon, you're gonna be seen as a fool. People are gonna think that you are a moron. You're an idiot. Do this the right way. Do it for yourself. But none of these things are strong enough to get in the way of his, his self-love. And so, Look at what he does in verse 14. But he would not listen to her and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. What causes this to happen? Self-love. Rapists don't start out asking the question, who, who can I do this to? They start out with, I have, I have this desire in me, this self-love that I need to fulfill. 
and it will come at the cost of, of anyone. There's no rationalization in this moment. And what it really is, is a, a wrong ordering of loves. Listen to what Augustine said. Living a just and holy life requires one to be capable of an objective and impartial evaluation of things, to love things, that is to say, in the right order, so that you do not love what is not to be loved or fail to love what is to be loved or have a greater love for what should be loved less or an equal love for things that should be loved less or more or a lesser or greater love for things that should be loved equally. Wrongly ordered love is capable of wicked, heinous things. And then when you get that self-love, you're gonna be disappointed. You can't keep it. You can't bottle up that emotion. So you become disgusted with that person or that thing. You're grossed out by them, right? After most one-night stands, people try and like sneak away before the other person wakes up so that they don't actually have to deal with, with the reality of, of what just happened, 2 Samuel 13, 15 to 17, ends this way. Then Amnon hated her with very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this is wrong and sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And he called the young man who served him and said, put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. See, orgasms are temporary. Our, our trophies of self-love, temporary. Self-love is now gonna fix the attention on, on something or someone else because we're, we're disappointed. And this is the cycle of self-love. This, this situation that we just saw, disgusting as it, as it is, that's the cycle that self-love keeps driving us through. This is the heart of the hookup culture. It's, it's consensual maybe, Use me, I'll use you, get it done, go home, no strings attached. But there are strings attached. There are strings attached. This is, this is the heart of our, of our culture. And here's, here's the bad news, is that we, even us here this morning inside of the church, those who love Jesus, those who want Jesus and desire him, we're more like Amen than we want to admit. Because if we're honest, we find out this, that we pursue self-love above all else often, which means that we look at people and this world and the city as objects to be used for our satisfaction, desires to be met, and fulfillment we can easily walk around with the mentality of everybody exists for me. Everybody exists so I can love myself. Our hearts are very sick. Jeremiah in the Old Testament says that. Our hearts are sick and deceptive beyond the depth that, that we even know. So you might be here this morning thinking, ah, I'm doing fine. You don't know. It's like, it's like a cancer that you don't yet know about. Everything seems fine but it will show up at some point that our hearts are sick. And we try and, and say, oh, okay, but if we get married, then we'll be able to have great sex. It'll be amazing and wonderful. We'll get to that in a second. We think that marriage or sex can, can fix that. Or we find out that won't work. So then we go to religion and we think if I can just be a, a good 
man or woman, uh, then I'll be, I'll be okay. I'll be able to get over this self-love. I'll work really hard at it. I'll read a lot of books on how to defeat self-love and make better choices and whatever. But what we find out is that religion, sex, marriage, singleness, abstinence, none of these can change our self-love. That this is, the, this is our, our north. If our heart's a compass, it's, it's constantly pointing north toward our self-love and everything else is gonna get in line with that trajectory. So what can change us? What can change that? I'll say this. That the only way that we can change is to replace self-love with, with selfless love. It's, it's not about getting better. It's about replacement. Watched a show last night, um, The Blacklist, uh, into season five, intense show, crazy. Uh, but on the episode, um, what happens is uh, there's like seven people in the world that have this type of blood and this little boy is gonna die and his mom, who ends up being like some terrorist lady who finds out where he is because she gave him up for adoption, uh, she, she comes and and she has to face the fact that, that her son is going to die because he needs a new heart and she is one of the only people in the world that can give her a new heart. So it's this like redemption story. After she slaughters a bunch of people, she dies and gives up her heart so that her son can live. He, you couldn't do anything with him. He literally needed a new heart or he was dead. You can't remove self-love. It needs to be replaced with selfless love. And as far as I know, the only way to get that selfless love is to have someone who moves in perfect selfless love actually give it to us. We believe that only Jesus can do that. That Jesus came into, a, into this world. We believe that Jesus is God, that he took on uh, human flesh about 2,000 years ago, came into a creation, his creation, content to rape other creation, right? Horrible things. He came into that creation to give his selfless love away to those who are fixated and only motivated by self-love. Here's what Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 10, 42 to 45. Uh, Jesus called them to him, his disciples, and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Jesus is talking about greatness in, in his kingdom, in, in the church. Must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave to all. For even the son of man came not to, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The son of man is Jesus. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served. I didn't come for, for self-love. I came to lay my life down. I came to give my life up. And, and we see this most clearly on the cross that Jesus goes to the cross, not because he deserved it, but because we deserved it. Jesus went for our pursuits of self-love. And as he hung on the cross, he wore all of our self-love. He wore all of the sin, all of the rebellion we've ever done. And what happens is what Martin Luther calls, Martin Luther was a theologian, a reformer. He calls it the great exchange that Jesus takes our our self-love, our rebellion, our sin against God, and he gives us his selfless love. If you look to Jesus as the one who pays for this, because you all are trying to atone, 
we're all trying to pay off God, ourselves, the universe, whatever you think. You're, you're always trying to pay something off because you feel guilt, you feel shame. And you feel like some of the nice things you do would, would buy off some of that stuff. Well, that feeling comes from the reality that you do have a debt to God. But the thing is, you can't pay it. Jesus pays it for you. He dies on the cross, goes into a tomb, raises three days later so that you can receive several things. You can be forgiven. Everything you've ever done pursuing your self-love, even things as bad as Amnon did and worse, they can be forgiven because Jesus wore them on the cross. So if you look to him as the one who will pay for you, you can be forgiven. You can be transformed because Jesus will give you his heart. He puts a new heart into you, a heart that wants him, that wants to be like him. And the spirit of God then dwells inside of you and is changing you and I to be just like Jesus. And then he gives us a new identity. Jesus says, you wanna be great in my kingdom? Well, then be a servant of all. You wanna be great? Understand that you are already a servant. When you say, Jesus, I wanna follow you, that means that you serve all the time. Your life is now in service to him, no longer your self-love. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them, that we are servants. Jesus didn't die and rise to make religious narcissists who are trying to slowly get rid of more of their self-love plans. Instead, he, he gives himself, his spirit to us so that we'll be servants all the time, no matter what situation we're in. We lay down our agenda. So this applies to all of life that we are now servants because of what Jesus has done for you and serving you with his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. He says, come to me, any of you who want forgiveness and transformation and I will do it now. So if you're here this morning, he wants to do that for you now. Now I'm gonna move into application right away because this is about sex, but we had to do that, that front part first because it's important that we understand God's intention for sex is for us to serve our spouse. But not only that, but our new identity is as servant. So let me put this up there for us. As servant, sex is about serving and satisfying our spouse. So marriage isn't a call to, to sex, but to serve. That might be news to some of you. Hopefully you're not already married, you figured that out. Uh, but marriage is not a call to sex, it's a call to serve. Sex is, is extra, sex is a bonus, sex is incredible, but it's not the primary calling of marriage. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we serve our, our spouse? How do we serve within the context of marriage? I wanna be very practical, all right? I talked to my wife about all this. She's cool with me sharing it. She just doesn't want to be quoted on anything. So this all comes from me, all right? Uh, this is going to be very practical. But for those of you who are here and who are single, uh, there's just nowhere in... We, we dealt with singleness uh, during this, this series, all right? Uh, there's nowhere in scripture that, that gives you the authority to have sex. There's just not. 
So that, that's that. I mean, the call is to fight, to abstain, to be a, a holy follower of Jesus who would bring people around them to help them, them fight, to help you fight against the lust of the flesh. And you don't need to have sex to be human. You don't need to have sex to be legit. Otherwise, Jesus and the apostle Paul weren't legit. And no one's gonna say that. So if you're single, the call is to uh, abstain, to, to repent. Maybe, maybe some of you have been in sexual sin. You've been rationalizing. No, 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 it's fine. It's okay. I hear a little voice that tells me this is all right. That's demonic voice that you're hearing. The spirit of God is not saying, yeah, I know scripture says it, but you're needy, go for it. So if you're hearing a voice saying it's good, that's not the spirit of God. That's a spirit that's leading you away from God's intentions. All right, so married. The rest is all, all for you. We don't usually get to do uh, sermons that are, that are just for uh, married couples. So, so here it is. And I shouldn't even have to do all this because everything must be perfect in your marriage, right? Right, like sex life is amazing. It's awesome. I don't even, I'm just doing this for me probably. So just bear with me. Um, but, but first of all, what I wanna say, and I'm gonna be very practical, okay? Uh, first, don't live someone else's sex life. Don't ask someone, hey, how many times do you have sex a week, right? Like, honey, they're having sex this many times. Let's put, let's outdo them. Like, if you want to have a competition, that's weird. I don't, I don't know, I don't even know if that's allowed. But, um, but don't have someone else's sex life. This is, we talked about pornography last week, that that's not real sex. I mean, yes, it's sex, but that's not realistic. A lot of that is, is harmful. A lot of that should not be done. Pornography should not be done at all. We talked about that last week as well. That when we talk about sex, we're talking about your spouse. This is spouse specific. So don't live someone else's sex life. This is where I'm cautious to say, ah, oh, you should have sex this many times a week. Uh, right? We don't want to put metrics on this because your spouse is, is an individual that's made in the image of God with different needs than someone else. So if we're talking about spouse specific, who are you married to? You should know that. But when I'm asking that question, what's their upbringing? What, what did their parents talk to them or not talk to them about sex? By the way, the schools are now talking to our kids about sex at, how old is Malachi? Seven, okay? They're saying, oh, it's important for us to push our brave new world at seven. I'm like, well, my brave new world starts at five then. You know, like, we, we need to talk about this. It's weird if you don't, because someone's gonna disciple your children. So your spouse, what's their, what's their upbringing? What's their past? Have they had sex with other people before you? Did they have sex before marriage? Were they married before? Was there abuse? What's their past? Know their past. In premarital counseling, we talk all about this stuff. What's your spouse's view on sex currently? Do they think that it's dirty because someone told them it was dirty? Were they abused? And so they walk around with, with this image that, that sex can't be a good thing. What's their view on sex? What are, what are their needs? What are, what are their needs? Your spouse, not you. Because if we're servants, we're thinking about our spouse, not me. What are, what are their needs? And then is there any shame that they carry? 
Because shame needs to be dealt with with the gospel, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so let's bring what's shameful to the light and allow for him to bring healing to that. But here's, here's what we've found as a, as a couple and as I've spoken to people in the church, outside of the church, about sex. You need to talk about sex a lot. You need to talk about sex a lot. Not like a crude, rude way, not like a joking type way, but you need to talk about it a lot. It starts in pre-marriage counseling, right? As you're thinking about getting married, you need to be talking about sex and your expectations. Maybe you should have a friend. Don't, don't talk to everyone about your, your sex life, but is there a friend that you have and your spouse has that you're comfortable with them sharing details about your sex life? Not as like bragging, but hey, um, this, is, this isn't going well, or I have these ideas, or is this okay? It's okay to have, to have someone close that you talk to about these things, but make sure your spouse is okay with that. Maybe things are at a level where you need to talk about sex with a counselor. If something is not right, let me say this really clearly, get help. If something is not right in the bedroom, in your sex life, please get help. You're not alone. There are other people who are dealing with the same exact things you're dealing with. You just don't know it because we don't publicize it and we never will publicize it, right? But you're not alone. So spouse specific. Second, sex really starts with communication, touch, and meditation. This is like, you know, you have, you have sex, you have foreplay. This is like before foreplay, that you should be engaged with your, with your spouse often. What does this mean? Uh, touch them often, right? You walk by them, touch your shoulders. You don't, you don't have to touch in weird ways all the time, but, but like be in contact with them. Kiss them a lot, right? You leave, make out with them. It's like, I'm coming home, right? I wanna leave knowing what I'm coming back to. Communication, touch, meditation. Think about your spouse naked, we're, we're, we're this culture that's into pornography. It's like, just, just close your eyes. Think about your spouse. Make them your new meditation. Make them the, the lust of your heart that God actually you know, wants for you to go after. And for some of you, I, I know that, uh, that sex doesn't happen because you need it on a schedule. Some of you are like this. Some of you are not. But maybe you as a couple need to sit down and, and say, I would like sex this many times. Oh, man, all right? I would like sex this many times, okay? Where do we meet on this? What nights do we schedule this out? Where do we clear the agenda so that we can actually do this and, and enjoy one another? If sex isn't happening because it needs to be scheduled, we'll schedule it. This seems like a really important thing not to schedule. I forgot to write down a dentist appointment. I'm like, whatever, like schedule it for May. Don't forget to write down when you're gonna have sex if you need to schedule it. Don't push it to May, all right? It's March, for goodness sakes. Um, so sex starts with communication, touch, meditation. Next, I told you I was gonna get specific, all right? May... Some of you still, you've been married for a while and you think that sex is this like interaction, this transaction. Like set the mood. What does your spouse want? Talk to them. Be Like have a note, note paper out. What type of atmosphere would you like to have sex in? You're like, 
Barry White, fine. Barry White. Uh, candles, lots of candles, right? Ikea, like they're so cheap. Just don't burn yourself. Uh, like roses, fine. Like chocolate, great. Like make a budget and get these things, right? What mood does your spouse want for the room, the location to be in? And make it special often for your spouse. Make it be this thing that like, oh, this is gonna be so enjoyable. It's not like a, like a banking transaction. Like, oh, I'm gonna go make a deposit. Like, oh, we're gonna have sex, all right. It's like, oh, I can't wait. Daydreaming all day, like losing your mind at meetings, right? Stay focused at your job, fine. But like, meditate on your spouse. This is good. This is good. And then in your marriage, all right, we're, we're moving down, okay? There should be lots of foreplay, Lots and lots of foreplay. Sex begins with uh, emotional connection and, and intimacy. Uh, guys, some of you want for, for your wives to be like, you say sex and they're like, yes. Their bodies don't work like that the majority of the time. Okay? You need to know that. I know guys that like, you hear the word sex and you're like, when? You know, where? Like, I'm there. But for ladies, they, they need to be brought into this. Gently, okay? They're not usually ready to go. So, so what does your spouse like? Ask them that. Not right now, later on, all right? What would you want? What feels good? Really, like these are real questions. Write them down. Like, what do you like? What feels good? This is an appropriate time for John Mayer's Your Body is a Wonderland to like be explored, all right? This is, and you're like, some of you are nervous. You don't want to laugh or you don't want to engage. But like, this, this is real life. This is real life. And some, of, some issues exist in your marriage because this still makes you nervous. Sex still makes you nervous. It's a weird subject. Embrace it. Embrace the awkwardness of it and run at it as fast as you can. Foreplay is where you want to learn how to serve your spouse well. This is a place that you want to explore and experiment. And always talk to your spouse about, about things and could we try this? Could we do this? But, but foreplay is where sex usually gets like nailed down in, in especially the wife's heart. Next, sex should be comfortable. Porn is not comfortable. You, if you've watched porn, we talked about that. We don't porn. It shouldn't be part of your marriage. Shouldn't be part of your life at all. But unlike porn, sex should be very comfortable. If if this is with your spouse, it should go slow. There's no rush, right? You can just keep getting better and better and better and better. It's like more and more and more practice. Again, practice for so many things. It's like bad on the calendar. Practice for this. It's that's amazing, right? Slow. There's no rush. For some of you, sex has been painful. You, you need to get help for that. There, there are medical doctors that can, that can help in this area. And you resist sex because in your mind, you're like, oh, it's just gonna hurt again. Go get help for this. Go get help. Because it'll bring bitterness for, for you and your spouse. Next, during sex, talk to one another. Right? Remember, not just a bank transaction. Like, talk to one another. Tell one another what feels good. Encourage one another. Speak about the body of the other one. 
right? Memorize Song of Solomon, chapter seven. Just contextualize it, all right? How beautiful are your feet and sandals? This, okay, as I was reading this this week, I read through the Song of Solomon several times to, to get in the mood for this sermon, all right? And, and I'm like, this is him like just describing her as they're, right? You're later on in the book, they're, they're going for it, right? How beautiful are your feet and sandals, oh noble daughter. She's not his daughter, okay? Uh, your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. This guy's good. This guy's good. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat. I don't know if that'd be, <laughs> whatever. Encircled with lilies. Just, just go, all right? Uh, here we go. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools and heshbon by the gate of Bathraven. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, baby, which looks toward Damascus. And your head crowns you like caramel. That's not the illustration to use caramel, but, and your flowing locks, your, your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in, in the what? In the tresses. How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree and your breasts are like its clusters. I say, I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the scent of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. This is good. This just says, compliment your spouse. Let them know how much you like seeing them naked. Let them know the parts that you enjoy seeing of them because most likely you'll see more of them. The more, the more they hear and are encouraged, the more they'll want to be naked. So many people are uncomfortable in their naked body. And yet what Solomon is saying, like get naked more often, learn to compliment your wife like this and, and her words I am my beloved's and his desires for me will come from your spouse. Lastly, serve one another. Serve one another. Don't be selfish in sex. Don't be selfish. Don't just be in it to to get it over as quickly as you possibly can. Most sex, I think, should be longer. You can't can't say things like Solomon is saying in, in quick sex. Right, most of it should be like, well, just longer. That's all I need to say about that. When, when sex is longer, both spouses end up benefiting significantly from this. Now, there will be times when you can't have sex. There'll be times when you can't have sex. Uh, I didn't, so we got pregnant right away. Didn't mean for that to happen. We tried this like surefire method, like you won't get pregnant. Mm, we got pregnant. So don't, don't do what we did, um, all right? So like that was hard enough. And then nine months later, and I remember going to the doctors and we were talking about what delivery is gonna be like. And they said, and uh, you know, in six weeks, you won't be able to have sex. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, yeah. Like six weeks after you deliver a child, like, I didn't, nobody told me that. Like that was, that was shocking. That might've been the most shocking thing to me at that time. It was, it was very strange to me. But there are times where you can't have sex for multiple reasons. And remember, spouse-specific. So I would say during these times, you have to be creative. 
You have to be creative. There are other things that you can do that I'm just not gonna mention, right? You're big boys and girls, you can figure it out, all right? But there are times where you can't have sex, but the other spouse still wants to be with you physically. So be with them physically. Just figure out different ways. And then afterwards, talk and spend time. Do a recap. Talk about what you just did, right? Make, make the talk of sex less strange and dirty and weird, right? Because it's not. It's good to talk about these things. God gives us a whole book in the Bible speaking about these things. And the last thing, I think I said that a while ago, but truly last thing, you should have a lot of sex. I don't know what a lot is, but the, the more good sex that you have, the more encouraging sex that you have with your spouse, the more that you're gonna want it. The more you're gonna want it. I'm not gonna give you a number. Ask your spouse, how many times should we be having sex? But I, I will say this, that ladies, guys want it a lot usually. And so just know that and, 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 and figure out a good rhythm for, for your marriage, for you to be able to be physically intimate, emotionally intimate, relationally, socially, all of that intimacy has to be brought together in your marriage. Be on the same page. Because sex has a potential to, to bring great bitterness to your marriage or great health. Sex is powerful. It can make your, your marriage defined as bitter or can heal. Tell you one, one quick story. Uh, when we lived in Maine, I was doing counseling with a couple. I, I was newly married. Like, I didn't know what to do. And, um, and the guy came to me and he's like, man, we're having so many issues in our marriage. And I'm like, I don't, I've never done marriage counseling before. I just don't know what to do. Uh, internal conversation. And it, and it came to me. I'm like, man, you and your wife should have sex every day for a month. And he just looks at me. I'm like, yeah. That's what you should do. You guys should have sex every day for a month. And then let's talk again. And he's like, okay. And, and he, he went and three weeks later came back. And he's like, our relationship is amazing. And I'm like, you're, you're only three weeks into it. You still have another week and a few days to go. And he said, we're talking all the time. He's like, we had to schedule it out. It's really hard to have sex every day for a month. Uh, some things have to be pushed to the side. Like some bills can collect interest. That's fine, right? We need to have sex. And there was great healing that, that came from that. And I'm like, oh, maybe I am a counselor, right? Like, no idea. But, but it brought great healing because it opened up all these things because they didn't even want to have sex at first. It's like, well, now we have to talk about why we don't want to together, What's been going on that we, we can't trust one another with our bodies? And I'll let a Puritan, uh, William Perkins, uh, finish this, this sermon before I give a challenge. Uh, can you go to the next slide, please? William Perkins, a Puritan, uh, old dead guy, okay? He says this, Yea, deeds of matrimony are pure and spiritual, and whatsoever is done within the laws of God, though it be wrought by the body, yet are they sanctified. Um, Nancy Piercy in her book, Love Thy Body, uh, phrases that phrase this way, that sex can be just as spiritual as preaching. Sex can be just as spiritual as preaching. And Jesus wants for you to have the best sex that you possibly can. He really does. So let me challenge, we'll, and we'll end. Oh, this went a little longer. Okay, um, number one, uh, 
Self-love needs to be repented of. You need to turn from that and turn to Jesus. He'll give you selfless love, specifically regarding sex. For the married couples, here's what I wanna challenge you with, and some of you might not like it, some of you might love this, but I've never challenged people in this way before, other than that couple I just talked about. I wanna encourage you, challenge you to have sex tonight. Have sex tonight. That's a few hours from now, for most of us. Um, So you have time to talk about it today. You have times to plan it. You have time to get food, candles, wine, whatever you need to do. You have time. And then after you have sex, here's what I want for you to do. Talk about what you want for sex to be like as a couple. Leave the notebook out of, out of the way at first and then bring it in later, all right? What do you want for sex like? What do you want for your sex life to be like as a couple? And then what does Jesus want for you? Because maybe you want something lesser than what Jesus wants. And so we need to actually get behind Jesus's plan for your marriage and your sex life instead of yours. And then begin working that plan. So the challenge is is intimacy right away. Right away, begin to work on these things. And then if you're single, what I would say is what um, we see in the Song of Solomon, don't awaken love before it's time. Don't awaken love before it's time. God's given this incredible gift for us to use within the, the safe, trusting covenant of marriage. And what sex actually does in a non-creepy way is it points to how intimate the Lord wants to know his people. He wants to be that close to you. He wants to know you in ways that nobody else really knows you. And that you actually open yourself up to share and to tell God of these, these things that are going on in your life. It's not about religion. It's really about knowing Jesus as your rescuer, as your king, and as your best friend. So let me, let me pray and we'll respond however the spirit wants for us to respond. Lord, thank you for your gift of sex. Um, it's, it's sometimes strange to talk about. Uh, sometimes we get nervous speaking about this, uh, but it's your gift and it's, it's good. And, um, and you've informed us on what you want us to do with it. And so Lord, with, with our sex, would you allow for us to glorify you? Would you allow for us to enjoy our, our spouse would you um, allow for us to, to serve um, our spouse as well? And, um, and may we repent of, of the self-love that so easily leads us into sexual immorality and deviance and, and things that we know that you don't actually have for us. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being a great God. Thank you for the gift of sex. Uh, it's a great gift that you've given to us. And, um, and we need you for everything. Amen.